Gather round, kids, as I tell ye this story. It's a story of bloody sabres and uh, flintlock pistols jammed by salty water. Grandpa, Grandpa, I burned my marshmallow. Shut up. I'm, I'm telling a story. They respect your elders, damn you. Twas out on one of the six seas of Salvadori. The distant screeching of seagulls filled the air as the sun set upon the turquoise waves. No land in sight, and so the waves had nothing to lap against except each other and the two very exposed necks of a couple of poor marooned souls. They weren't swimming, mind ye. They were standing, standing tippy-toe, Upon a coral reef, they'd been left for dead, and now they strained to keep their heads over water, hoping that another ship might pass by and pick them up. If nothing else, they had time. At least they thought so. For when the sun went down and the water got cold, something stirred in the corals beneath them. Something crawled up and started nibbling at their toes. How did our brave heroes find themselves in this situation? Well, you'll have to listen to this episode of Story Jazz to find that out. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Oh. Theme music. Again, welcome everyone to Story Jazz, an improvised storytelling podcast where we come up with everything at the very last second, Uh, maybe too late sometimes, but we come (laughs) up with everything on the spot. So everything you're hearing now is completely improvised, completely out of our heads. I'm Softy. I'm Sam. And this week we thought uh, we might do a pirate story, as you may have been able to tell by that strange <laughs> introduction. So it was your idea, Softy, to um, start with uh, a pirate's voice. You just threw that right at me right before I was going to yeah. do the cold open. Yeah. So Sam came to me, said, hey, I have a cold open. And I'm like, hey, actually, this is your cold open. And he was like, <laughs> OK. So the way that we do this uh, most of the time is we decide on a rough topic about a week before we record, and then we have some time to let the ideas gestate, mm-hmm. um, but we prepare very little. I sort of thought about who these characters could be. I prepared this rough cold open, uh, and I thought about what can we do in a pirate world that hasn't been done? Yeah. When I was thinking about pirates, when that idea was testating in me, um, <laughs> I was thinking about all of the various pirate magic that exists mm-hmm. that the way that magic manifests in pirate stories is often so different from the way it manifests in other fantastical stories very ruly often like there's these it's very ruly intense and rules, mysterious curses and voodoo unbreakable mm-hmm. right it's it's like humanity's struggle against the ephemeral against the the mystical um mm-hmm. And so for me, that's what makes a pirate story truly appealing. It's, really cool. it's not the the blunderbusses and cutlasses, but the the indomitable magic coming from the depths. Okay, so let's let's mess with that for sure. Um, we came up with the pirate thing because in our previous story, Fourth Life, an amazing, mysterious adventure through the virtual realms of Fourth Life. Um, there was a quick nod to a separate world called the Six Seas of Salvadore. And I thought that we would set this story in the Six Seas of Salvadore. So maybe we can talk a little bit about what that world is like. Is there, how how tropey are we going to get with it? There's got to be like a Royal Navy or something, right? Is this, are these colonies? Yeah, I'm sure there is. So I'm a little bit resistant to the colonial storyline yeah. because that carries some weight with it that, I don't really like colonialism. Um, <laughs> can I quote you on that? <laughs> you can quote me on that. Uh, when I slash Frank conceptualized... Frank the house. Frank the house conceptualized the six seas of Salvadore. Um, I was imagining that a great pirate, Captain Salvadore, sailed into unknown waters mm-hmm. and christened the 
six seas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and probably you know named each of the seas for the curse which lays upon it or for the color of its waves. You know. Yeah, maybe we we leave defining them for later though, because I want to know who these two people are because we're going to be following them. Right. Right. Who are these two tippy toed, neck deep uh, scallywags? All right. Donald B. <laughs> what? Catchow. No. Donald B. I like Catchow. Bur- Catchow? Okay. Donald Catchow. Donnie Catchow. I. I- Donnie Kachow. Yeah, says, Donnie Kachow. There we go. People say, ah, you're Donnie Kachow. And he says, it's Kachow, actually. Yes. All right. Uh, Donald B. Kachow is one of our neck deep tippy toers. <laughs> okay, cool. Is he, what, what's he I don't know to? how he got there. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's a, a pirate by birth and not by choice. Ah, so is there a community of pirates where when you get when you you're born into it and pirate is just the reputable like respectable main job that you do if you're oh, born no, in this pirates community. are never reputable no, but this community is a community of pirates and they but it's the core tenet of piracy to be disreputable right right outside of the pirate community <laughs> well inside of the pirate community disre- disrepute is repute is a repute even yes. the word of course, yes. Um, uh, so Donnie Kachow was born <laughs> on an island of pirates? To a filthy scallywag pirate mother who never gave him an option to do anything else but uh, plunder and pillage. But really, all he wants to do is, I'm seeing parallels to Harriet, but that works. Uh, all he wants to be is a, an honest traitor or something? Wait, 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 wait. What if we don't say? We don't say. We don't say. Okay. What if we don't say? But it's got to be something honest. But it's his big secret. Oh, it's got to be something big filthy secret. honest. Something something terrible like mathematics or something. Um, <sighs> so who's our who's our other neck deep tippy toe? Um, let me look at, I, I came up with a list of cool names. Why is it better than Donnie Kachow? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is. Nothing is. <laughs> um, uh, Donald B. Kachow. I have, so a name that I really like because it's a nod to one of my favorite characters of all time is Iniga. Like Inigo Motoya? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. How, how did you know? Iniga is great. Iniga is uh, vaguely Spanish. You cannot have the pirates without being a Spanish. So, Iniga. Iniga. Mm, be. Esperanza. Esperanza. Okay. So, I'm saying, I'm assuming that the six seas are separate from Earth. One or whichever reality we live in, we, I, I want. I, I like the idea of having it be new history, new place. Yeah, if, if it being vaguely inspired by Earth, because I mean, Frank created it. It's vaguely Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. right. Iniga Esperanza isn't from Spain necessarily, but you know, some similar place. Uh, so who is Iniga Esperanza? She's a she's a she's a previous Navy. Yeah, uh, yeah for sure. She came from a, the old country. Yeah, uh, Spangland. You know, sort of Spang. A spangolin. Um, what is the name of a of a low level navy uh, pr- private? No, it's not private. It's uh, ensign. Ensign. So she's a red shirt, you know. Yeah. She just she just came over from the old country. Yeah. And okay, wait. I want to just throw them in a scene then. Before we before we 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 nail down too much, I'm going to throw them in a scene. We'll we'll come back and do the world. Okay. 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 So, <clears throat> ladies and gentle people. This is Story Jazz. Dim candlelight raises as a old man plays on a piano and the shutters click and we're all sitting in an old movie theater watching as we hear Sam's luscious voice tell us <laughs> the beginning of the story. Well, to really understand where it all started, we got to go back a few days. Back to Three Heads Island. You see a young man. Uh, he's got glasses, thick brimmed glasses. Um, and you can see the way his pants are sagging a little bit behind that he has embroidered into the back of his underwear the last name Kachow. And he's standing in front of a fruit stand and he's got a uh, paper bag and he's fondling various melons looking for just the right one. Is he knocking on him? 
or shaking them? You knock on coconuts. I think you fondle melons. You fondle them? Yeah, you got to see if they're squishy or too firm. Pretty sure you knock on them. You knock on your melons? Then you're you're the reason why all the melons are all mushies because you've been <laughs> fucking knocking on the melons. <laughs> and as he stands there fondling the melons. <laughs> the first thing you want this character to do is fondle melons? Yes, the first thing I want Donald B. Kachow <laughs> to do is fondle melons. Have you heard of character-defining action? You have now defined Donnie Kachow as a melon fondler. I'm a melon fondler too. I will proudly defend all fellow fellow felon molendors. Melon fondling <laughs> is a felony. He hears from behind him just as he gets bowled over. Well, no, maybe we shouldn't start with somebody getting bowled over. <laughs> I get it. Sorry. <laughs> he hears from behind him. Stop that man! Stop him! Stop that man! And through the crowd of people in the marketplace that he's standing, a young boy runs by with a chest full of gold and silver just exploding out of the edges. And he's just booking it as a as a troop of musket wielding guards chase after him. You see, up on Three Heads Island, where the Royal Navy still ruled, any type of thievery was punishable by death, even if you were just a little laddie. If you could thieve, you were considered a man. And if you were a man, you could be considered a pirate. And if you were a pirate, by the Royal Navy's (laughs) rule, you could be considered as good as dead. And so on this fine day, Donald B. Kachow watches trembling in his boots as uh, a bunch of well-armed individuals that would happily put him to death if they knew who his mother was, just rush by him, ignoring him completely in favor of a child no more than 11. And he thinks for a minute, is that going to be his fate? Something inside him wants to run after the kid. And something inside him wants to just run the other way. The guards whiz past, and he notices that the kid has disappeared somewhere in the crowd of of bustling market goers. As the guards sort of run up the hill, he spots something glinting in an alleyway and notices the kid has ducked out of sight and is now catching his breath. So he flips a piece of six to the melon man. I love that. I love that. Um, and takes the one he was currently fondling, puts it in the paper bag, and he puts the fondled, not knocked melon into his bag and steps into the alleyway himself. To confront the kid who now finds himself in a dead end. What are you going to do? you going to turn me in? Go, bitch. Donnie hesitates. He doesn't really know why he stepped in here, but apparently he's the only one who noticed this kid ducking out. And this is a chance for him. This is a chance to prove himself to the royal authorities here on Three Heads Island, one of the main islands in the Six Seas under royal control. Well, make up your mind. You, you, I don't have time to be here all day. I, you know, even you're going to let me go away with this uh, you know, treasure or you're going to fucking turn me in, bitch. And as he thinks and thinks, here's a voice behind him. Donnie! Donnie, there there you are! And somebody pushes through the bustling crowd into this alleyway and sees him standing across from the little boy. And who's this? Making friends. The newcomer is the quartermaster of the ship that Donnie has been sailing with for the past weeks and which is captained by his mother. Uh, The quartermaster's name is Gatwick. Gatwick Swell. Gatwick Swell. That's so good. Um, and he's uh, he's a heavyset man with uh, whiskers, beard whiskers that he loves to color in all kinds of different colors. And he has a, a, a pouch of fresh dyes that he's just bought at the market. And um, he looks at the boy and laughs and says, <laughs> well, looks like you found a good little uh, prize here. Uh, and he claps uh, Donnie on the back so hard, Donnie almost falls over and says, finally, you're contributing to the crew, aside from just doing the numbers. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Hey, Gatwick. The, the kid drops the chest 
and whips out a tiny little, just a, a ridiculously small knife, like a like a a nail picker, and um, <laughs> a nail picker. It's technically a knife. It's almost um uh, a toothpick. He whips it around crazily and says, <laughs> "I'll I'll fucking jump in your face, my man. I'm not scared. I'll poke your eyes out with this." Bitch. And Gatwick, Gatwick with blinding speed considering his size and sort of gait. Gait and his sort of laid Stature. back, waddly demeanor. Demeanor. <laughs> uh, kicks up his foot and sends one sandal flying into the kid's face ah. who stumbles backward and drops his toothpick. <laughs> and Gatwick walks up to the chest, picks up one of the coins and bites down on it. And the foil, the silvery foil comes off it. And he chews and swallows and says, chocolate coins, delicious. <laughs> is the whole chest filled with chocolate coins at this point? Yeah, I think so. But every kind okay. of thievery is punishable by death on Three Heads Island. Oh, That's how okay. hard the royals Well, little lad, best not get caught. And he wraps an arm around uh, Donnie Kachow. And walks him out of the alleyway. Did you say earlier? I did. I don't know if I didn't wasn't paying enough attention. But did you say his name was imprinted on his underwear or something? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that was visible. Yeah. Cool. So as Donnie turns around, or, or actually, so Gatwick says, "Take a little tribute, Donnie, just to show him who the boss is," and walks out of the alley. And Donnie looks at the kid, who um, is still wiping sandal sand out of his face and um carefully maybe it's wood maybe it's sandal wood (laughs) (laughs) and uh and sort of hesitantly walks up to the to the chest you you're really proud of yourself for that one doesn't even make any sense donnie walks up to the chest and like takes a handful of chocolate coins and like looks at the kid trying to look intimidating and then says tribute and then as Donnie turns around and walks out the alley, the kid reads his name on the back of his butt and says, This ain't over, Kachow! I'll have my revenge in this life or the next! Bitch! B- bitch! And he picks up his toothpick, uh, knife, and um, his chest of, of coins and uh, disappears. Melons and chocolate coins in tow, uh, Donnie Kachow walks through the marketplace He nods to the various merchants who he's made port here before. And so some of them recognize him, um, especially since he's the one who does all of the shipping for the cook, all the shipping, all of the, all of the purchasing. Provisioning. Provisioning. He does all of the trading because he's good with numbers and none of the other pirates seem to be particularly interested in numbers. Um, He's one of the few literates on the ship. Precisely. He nods to the various merchants about the marketplace and chews on a chocolate coin as he makes his way down to the docks. And at the end of the docks is a ship that he knows all too well. The... The Red Dread. His mother's ship. Except when it's in port at Three Heads Island or any royal-controlled port. They drop little plates over the name so it says, The Bedhead. (laughs) Two letters... Look at that three-masted, crimson, blood-red ship coming into harbor with the dragon spearhead at the front and the the blood-colored sails. That must be the Red Dread. Are you kidding me? This guy's in ship base in port all the time. That's the bedhead. That's a famous uh, melon salesman. But it's crimson. No, it's the inside of watermelon colored because that's what they sell. Melons, um, famous, famous melons, uh, uh, melon selling ship, <laughs> the bedhead, melon selling ship, and it's strange that nobody has noticed, except for, for perhaps the the melon salesman himself on on Three Heads Island, that this ship always tends to purchase rather than sell melons. Yet it's still renowned for its melon sales. I do believe they they got to be <laughs> smuggling something with the melons or oh, something. Yeah. 
And 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 the melon salesman is all in on it. And like they change, I I think they have to exchange the sh- the sales when they're going on like a legitimate run to the <laughs> so called oh yes run. to a to a more watermelon hue rather than its blood hue. He makes his way up to the cross plank or whatever that thing's called to get his way. Gang, gang it's not called a gangplank. Is gangplank. it? Is it called the gangplank? Or no, I do believe it's the gangplank. Yeah. I always thought the gangplank was what you had to walk when they say walk the plank, That's just but maybe the that plank, is that same plank. I think it's the same yeah. plank, okay. but there's just nothing on the other end. So he walks the plank uh, towards his ship, <laughs> which is not quite a death threat for him, even though he wonders every day if he's going to be just offhandedly killed by one of the crew um, in a fit of drunken rage. He's, ta- <laughs> he's spoken to his mother about it before. He's asked her repeatedly to put corks on the end of all the sabers when they're not in combat, but... None of the pirates seem to agree to such a safety measure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. So as he boards uh, the ship, um, he sees two of the crew in a heated argument. And between them, three melons splattered on the deck. Gatwick stands at at the mast watching, not interfering, hearing the argument get more and more heated. As the two pirates, or sorry, melon salesmen, seem to be <laughs> pointing at the various melons and screaming at one another in indistinguishable, <laughs> indistinguishable fury. That one was mine. No, that one was mine. I w- was going to use it. No, listen, can you let me speak? And the other one says, I do not care which melon was yours. If you splatter them on the ground, they're not useful to anyone. You impudent You splattered them. You, you splattered them. You splattered them. You walked into me. Well, if it weren't for the fact that you were carrying them with such imbecilic, numbling, fumbling, butterfinger hands, the, you son of a cockroach, you, you barnacle-bearing... Barnacle-bearing? And he draws his saber. Listen here. No cork on the end. He points the, the pointy end at the, at the guy's uh, beard. Corks, 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 corks. Uh, Donnie Kachow uh, waddles forward, putting a, uh, his sack of, of uh, winter melons on the ground, and he pulls a cork out of his pouch because he always carries a pouch full of corks on this particular ship, <laughs> and he pokes it on the end of the saber in the middle of the argument. And the man turns his eye to, uh, on Johnny and says, Oh, you want to lose a finger too, huh? Or maybe a little more than that. Uh, and, and Donnie... Wait, actually, wait. The, the, other, the, other pirate, the other pirate says, Are you... Stupid. How do you expect our bookmaker to keep track of anything if he doesn't have enough fingers to count on? Are you an idiot? Are you an idiot? You're going to cut the fingers off the only person in this entire ship who could do any mathematics whatsoever. Well, look, I guess I am an impulsive man, okay? But I was planning something here. We were going to use these melons, put the crystals inside like we always do, and then smuggle. And then from the captain's cabin comes, Enough! And everybody goes silent. And you hear one knock of wood on the deck and another knock of wood on the deck as two peg legs make their way out of the captain's quarters. Beautiful peg legs. Beautiful, ornate peg legs with small slippers on the end of them. (laughs) The the knocking on the wood is just slightly uh, dampened by these... Just ever so slightly muffled. By these, by these nice fleece slippers. And out onto the deck steps the captain of the Red Dread, Nedrina Kachow. Are you telling me the captain of the Red Dread's name is Ned? Ned, yes. <laughs> Ned of the Red Dread. Ned's bedhead, the Red Dread. Ned, the bedhead of the Red Dread. And true to the name of the ship, there is a massive waft of tangled mass upon her head, a veritable honeycomb swirling madness carrying maybe a, a, a foot above her head as it's swirled in its, uh, you know, I have no words. It would have to be cut off to be solved. There are species on this world that have yet to be discovered that hide within the deep recesses <laughs> of Nedrina's bed head. It is a veritable jungle of red curls and knots. And as she says, enough, both of the two squabbling pirates, Donnie Kachow and even Gatwick Swell himself, stand upright and at attention. 
Ned walks up very close to the two squabbling pirates and tells them with rum-heavy breath, when we are in royal waters, we are watermelon salespeople. And we will act as such. Look, I, I didn't mean to talk about the crystals out loud. Ah, bah, bah, bah. I mean the secret cargo. You know, the stones that we smuggle. You don't <laughs> speak about any of that when we are in royal waters. And like Nedrina could see the future, the five pirates on the deck of the Red Dread hear the telltale sign of clomping boots on the dock below. And the sound of a young Spanish woman below as she calls up and says, Pseudo-Spanish. The sound of a small Espanglish woman (laughs) on the docks say, Inspection. And everybody freezes. I believe you're due. What what does a Spanish accent sound like? I I totally like, (laughs) Spanish, Spanish. Well, a Spanish accent, a Spanish accent. There is an inspection due, I believe, for your ship. If you come to port to sell your melons, you must submit to an inspection as per the Royal Navy. For a second, uh, Ned sees the panic in her son's eyes. Donnie and Ned both have the same dark red hair and the same angular features. But uh, for her, it is a face weathered with battle lust. And for him, it is a face weathered with calculus. <laughs> calculus. There you go. Hey, we're freestyling up here. And she gives him this look, this look of absolute confidence that always inspires in him a feeling of absolute anxiety. It's a feeling of confidence laced with the threat of death. But that threat is exactly what makes her so confident because she knows that she, whenever she goes into battle, she's not risking her life by going into, the, into battle. She would be risking her pirate's life by not going into battle. Marching steps come up onto the deck. Royal Navy, Royal Guard, um, followed closely by a young lieutenant, a Spanglish woman, short, broken-nosed, and clearly intoxicated by her recent promotion. Amen. Search of the ship, locate all of the melons, and mark them all for trade, and see which have been traded and which have not, and make sure they all have a seal of transport and a seal of taxes. Please, go on, men. Gatwick walks up close to the, to the young lieutenant, looks her in the eye with his, his bristling mustard yellow whiskers. <laughs> Gatwick's voice was like this, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. We were inspected just last week. Uh, who, who gave you the, the command for this? Uh, nobody gave me the command for this. We are just a... Uh... Wow, your Spanish is so much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I just imagine I'm Inigo Montoya. Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Uh, we are just, uh, you know, random doing random inspections. And Gatwick starts fuming and goes... And then Ned walks up and puts a hand on his shoulder. Yeah. And as the soldiers make it below deck to begin their search, Ned looks back and looks at her and says, What are the odds that your random inspection might take you to a different ship? And she holds out an empty palm, turns it upside down, and then holds it up again, and a pile of coins appear in her hand. And uh, Iniga looks down at the coins and looks up at Ned and smiles, smiles knowingly, a smile that says, oh, no, you won't get me with simple gold. And in that moment, Donnie looks over to the coast and sees more men. Um, I want a a gender-neutral term for soldiers. (laughs) More soldiers. Soldiers. (laughs) (laughs) And sees more soldiers lining up coming down the hill and sees the fort up on one of the three heads, you know, one of the three um, hills 
of the island. Actually, maybe there's three forts on this island. So it's like super uh, reinforced. Quite fortified. Or fortified, sorry. <laughs> it might be that he's paranoid, but he feels like he can see the open cannon windows on the fort. And he feels like those cannons might be directed at the bay right now. And he has the sinking feeling of, oh no, maybe our uh, name change from Red Dread to Bedhead wasn't <laughs> quite enough to keep our cover. This time. Oh boy. And he looks over at Ned and he can tell that Ned has already checked out the situation as well. Uh, and he sees Ned behind her back make a little sign with her hand. Just a sort of four fingers and then two fingers outstretched and then a thumb that seems to symbolize let's get the hell out of here. So this is going to be impossible for our auditory listeners to visualize. <laughs> so just imagine a complex series of hand gestures which everybody immediately understands yet we have no idea what it looks like. Gatwick sort of casually walks toward the stern. The pirates, you know, sort of go about their business but looks are exchanged which go unnoticed by the uh, royal guards. Iniga chest puffed out, um, turns away from Ned and says, <laughs> let's just wait for the inspection to complete before we uh, talk about exchanging any sort of tax on your goods, eh? And Ned says, yes, let's. And a few tense moments pass. And then the cork comes off at the end of the saber. And Iniga turns around and seems to realize something is going on. Some of the pirates have climbed to the top of the masts and the ship has started to drift a bit and its nose is pointing toward the outside of the bay. And uh, Gatwick, he whips out a saber and he cuts the line attached to the dock and he kicks the gangplank out from the edge. And with the sound of the splash as it hits the water, the red dread is already moving. Exactly. The, the, the sails come down all in one. <laughs> Um, and they billow with wind and the ship surges forward right as Iniga is pulling out her saber. She falls onto the deck. And the two arguing melon merchants, sorry, pirates now, <laughs> uh, each put a sort of firm boot on her saber and she yanks a couple times but can't get it, get it free as they grin slobberly at her. I don't know what that <laughs> word was. Slobberly? Wow, great. <laughs> they slobberishly grin this at her. This is why everybody says <laughs> avoid <laughs> adverbs in your writing. Yeah, because then you end up saying things like slobberly. Um, and the Red Dread is a dang fast ship. It is... It's a heckin' fast ship. They keep it so clean. They set, they they scrub the barnacles off every, you know, two weeks, you know, and, and they keep it tarred and they... Look at your research coming in. At, <laughs> thank you. And they just shoot out the bay. A lot of the guards topple over and these pirates, they just, one of them just swings down from the mast. He, he just unfurled the sail. Now he swings down from the mast. Another one is like holding onto the sail and like, you know, sliding down it somehow. Super light guy. He pulls out two daggers and like drops them both into the backs of two of the guards the shooting has begun below deck as well. Inigo just watches powerlessly as her her soldiers try to fend off the band of pirates as they set sail. And she shouts, The cannons! Use the cannons! She, she shouts toward the shoreline where the other soldiers are totally without a clue of what to do against this, this suddenly moving ship. They'd started running down the docks at first but then stopped when they realized the ship was too far, and so they started running away. <laughs> Some of them pulled out the pistols and started shooting at the ship, but to no avail. And one of them starts running up toward the fort to give the command, waving his arms at the, at the people in the fort. He does a series of complicated hand gestures, <laughs> and the fort immediately understands, and cannons start ringing through the air. The whole marketplace starts screaming, and shops close up. The melon salesman quickly fondles all his melons and puts them away. Um... <laughs> <laughs> as cannon fire rings out over the market. Now on the deck, the soldiers and the pirates are having it out. Um, so these two guys are both standing on Aniga's saber? Yeah, the two uh, people who are arguing over the melon are standing over the saber, basically pinning her down. They're holding their sabers out, pinning okay, her down. Okay, okay, The two melon salesmen are, <laughs> the two melon droppers are standing on Aniga's saber, arguing over which of them um, is pinning her down. 
No, <laughs> it was my idea. I'm standing on the on the damn sword, and now she. Listen, you imbecile! We only need one foot. You are more stupid than a barnacle. You're nothing but a sea cucumber. <laughs> I love that voice. You're nothing but a simple, a simple sand dollar. You grow because you were born to grow, not out of any intellect or or passion or or desire on your part. You're simply a, a facet of the world incapable of making your own decisions. And as they discuss this, Iniga manages to pull out her dagger and put it in one of their feet. <laughs> ah, this must be your fault as well. You stabbed me in the foot. I didn't stab you in the... Ah, she stabbed you in the damn foot. And he falls back and Iniga gets to her feet just in time to deflect Ned's saber. Uh, a broad, heavy thing tinted in red color. A two-handed claymore of a saber. <laughs> but she wields it with one. Yeah. <laughs> she. It still has the front guard and everything, but this thing is uh, five feet long. Gatwick, meanwhile, is fighting with two buckler shields. Yes, he's fighting with two shields. You heard that, right? <laughs> they have sharpened edges, and he's just ramming folks left and right. Uh, and it it looks for a second like the pirates will win, but then the first of the cannonballs start hitting, and it just shears through the guiding sail, the front sail, and it just tears a big hole in it. And the pirate that was sliding down it before narrowly evades it as he clatters onto the deck, and he shouts something at some of the other sailors as they start rotating the sails in order to catch the wind a little faster and try to turn so that the stern is facing the port, making them a smaller target rather than running cross-side. Gatwick turns around and smashes one of the guards in the face with his buckler and shouts to Donnie, Don't let them hit the payload! And Donnie is totally frozen in place, clutching his melons. Go and check <laughs> the damn payload! And Donnie remembers, they are transporting these melons uh, in order to smuggle a highly explosive type of crystal, uh, crystal? Find, oh, found only, yes, I believe so, found only in the six seas of Salvador. This must be like pure sulfur or something. Yeah, yeah, like crystalline, crystalline, some sort of crystalline. Um, and, and they need uh, an organic cold container in order to keep uh, it from oxidizing. Thus the melons. Thus the so melons. Actually made- Maybe he was purchasing melons for this very purpose. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's why they have the melons. Mm. Um, and they they need to be fresh uh, because when they rot, they start the crystals start to oxidize. Which is why he was fondling the melons. Exactly. It's all coming together, and why he would not knock them because that <laughs> might actually trigger the explosion. Sorry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> he, he's, he, he, I mean, there aren't any explosive crystals in these market melons. That have sheer force of habit. You need to you need to suppress the habit of knocking the melons. Yeah. So um, he jumps below deck and he's immediately faced with a royal guard so covered in blood that at first he thinks it's one of his pirate mates because they're often covered (laughs) in blood. Often. And he says, Jamie? And Jamie turns around and is wearing uh, royal blue. And um, the Royal Navy member stabs a saber saber at Donnie Kachow, who quickly ducks and covers the melons. And then he swings the saber around and Donnie Kachow jumps in the air. And as he's stabbing again, Donnie Kachow pulls out a cork and puts it on the end of the saber <laughs> and then runs off down the ridge of the, <laughs> the underbelly of the ship as the guy's chasing him with a cork on the end of his saber. Iniga ducks the blows thrown at her by uh, Ned the Red Dread. And her unstoppable claymore. Yeah. Um, and... She doesn't know what to do against this onslaught of, of heavy blows, but she manages to whip her own saber around and carve out a chunk of Ned's hair, at which point Ned stops for a second, looks at her. Her hair is unmoving, but there's now a, a, yeah. like, a like a cavity in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she stares at her and goes, Oh, you just made a fatal mistake, my friend. And Aniga uh, knows exactly what how to, how to provoke her. She grins. Uh, she grins, showing defiance against one of the most feared pirates of the Six Seas. Ned the Red Dread. And that really pisses Ned off, to the point where her next blow is just the tiniest bit less calculated than usual. And when Iniga ducks, her saber gets stuck in the mast, in one of the masts. And Iniga uses that window to bolt for the trap door that leads below deck. She's going after Donnie. 
she's going after whatever this payload is. She she straddles the the little stairwell heading down through the trapdoor and slides down it, um, ducking as the saber comes flying out from the darkness at her and uh, covering her covering her head as blunderbuss fires exchange between her her soldiers and the pirates below deck. Neither party barely noticing her as she runs by and dodges around the various um, various barrels of melons down the underbelly of the ship towards uh, what she can see is a candlelit room on the far end of the ship, a door. There's a bulkhead. There is a reinforced, like, bunker in the back of this ship. And Donnie is just now turning the, like, wheel lock thing. How do you call that? The crank? The crank in front of the... He's opening this crank door, and he goes... As he pushes it open on salty hinges... And he turns, he looks over his shoulder to make sure that nobody's following him. But before he can stop it, um, Iniga barrels into him, pushing him into this back room. They're on top of each other, rolling around in between barrels of something. He tries to kick her off. She knees him in, in the balls. He has the <laughs> air knocked out of him. She scrabbles to her feet and closes the bunker door and locks it. I do love the sea shanties played oh, by yes. the, the jazzy sea shanties. <laughs> the jazzy sea. <laughs> Ceaselessly crashing over the waves, letting us know what kind of music the mermaids be liking today. <laughs> Hello, dear listeners. Welcome. Uh, we are releasing the first episode of our pirate saga in celebration of International Talk Like a Pirate Day, which is the 19th of September, so don't forget to talk like a pirate. Talk like a pirate. Which is why we're doing these flawless pirate accents. I am Sam, your host. And I am Capitan. Softy. <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome to our podcast. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for telling your friends, family, dogs, cats, uh, reptiles, and uh, furniture about our podcast. We really appreciate all of the word of mouth spreading that you've done. Yarr, this be true. But don't do any other word of mouth spreading. Be safe. It's COVID out there. Yar, this be even more true. <laughs> we are at Story Jazz Cast on Instagram and Twitter. Please. Do follow us there. And you can find us on Facebook and uh, you can email us at storyjazzcast at gmail.com. Tell us your ideas. Tell us what you loved. I guess you can tell us what you hate as well. We'll take that into account. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just straight up delete that email. Uh, Yar, I mean, uh, you can leave <laughs> us a review on Apple Podcasts too, because yes. those apparently are important. And Important. Uh, We'll be releasing the next episode, the next chapter of the Six Seas Saga, in two weeks. Yes, look look on the horizon for a bottle, un, or a corked bottle, with the next episode of Story Cont- A corked <laughs> bottle containing a .mp3 file. And until then, we love ye. We love ye. Iniga turns around to face Donnie. Just the two of them now. In the flickering light, she holds a saber to Donnie's neck and she looks at the various barrels around her, each of them marked with this way up, fragile, do not tip over. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, For pirates, you're pretty orderly. You really take care of your cargo. Yeah, I I guess we do, says Donnie. Outside, the battle is still raging. We hear gunshots, we hear sabers clanging. But it gets less and less. Can I just, um, can I, can I? And he pulls another cork from his pocket and he puts it on the end of her saber. And she looks at him like, what? <laughs> I assume you locked us in here to make demands, right? From what I hear out there, your crew is dying right now. Um, sorry about that. It's the way of the sea, right? But, um, I mean, look at me. I'm not a fighter. I don't think you need uh, all that threat to keep me uh, cornered, so to speak. And uh, Iniga listens, and she hears one last shot. 
One last clang. Oh. And then and then Gad, Gatwick's voice from above. All right, boys. Round them up. Toss them off the side. But not before you check their pockets. And she swallows dryly. Well, I mean, you, you made the best move, I think. You, you uh, locked us in an impenetrable room. With a bunch of explosives, mind you. Explosives. Oh, yes. And she looks around at the various barrels. I thought you knew that. Uh, forget I said anything. Well, I knew that you were transporting something in the melons. Uh, we received a tip recently and uh, from a certain boy. <laughs> just just <laughs> minutes ago, actually. <laughs> He's had his revenge. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> it's all tied up. Oh, we're such good storytellers. Uh, yes. Let's just clap ourselves on the clap back real quick for great storytelling. Wow. We received a tip, actually. But yes, I uh, thank you for commending my <laughs> quick thinking. I uh, think I have a bit of leverage here, no? And Donnie, Donnie Kachow says, well, yeah, you, you, did, uh, you did capture the, the captain's son, so... And Iniga turns her head again, surprised. And Dottie Katow goes, oh, I mean, y- you, didn't, you didn't know that? Oh, I just... You're giving me a lot of information for free right now. <laughs> uh, do you have any particular motives that I should know about? What could you get out of this? Ned finally pries her Claymore-sized cutlass from, the, from its... <laughs> from its gash, uh, you know, five centimeters deep in the mast and points to it and says, somebody fix that. And then she looks for Gatwick and sees them on the far end of the ship, kicking the corpse of a soldier off the edge. And she says, Gatwick, have you seen my boy? Have you seen little Donnie? Aye, I sent him under deck to uh, check on the payload. And coincidentally... Have you seen our little lieutenant? Our little Spanglish girl? I thought you put that big sword in her. And unfortunately, for once, I did not find her and kill her. And she sheathed the saber and makes her way down below deck. Okay, so you want me to do what exactly? What, what are the demands you want? Okay. So you demand to be let off the boat with me as a hostage, right? You'll, you'll hold a knife to my throat, and we both just leave. Carefully. You'll hold a knife to my throat <laughs> carefully. Do you want me to put the cork on it as well? <laughs> that would be preferable, I think. You can still, you know, use the blade to threaten my life and, and, and hold it against my jugular of all wounds caused by cutlasses are caused by the pointy end and not by the blade itself. So, at this point, it should be noted that uh, Donnie Kachow and Eniga Esperanza are sitting, Donnie Kachow on a barrel of explosives and Eniga on the floor. They're no longer threatening one another and now discussing how best to hold Donnie hostage and for Eniga to get off the ship. Okay. But before I can trust you with this, two questions. First of all, why do you want me to take you as a hostage? (laughs) Um, pillaging and plundering have been, um, not enjoyable. Oh, really? That's your review. That's your Yelp review for piracy. (laughs) Hey, two stars. Pillaging, plundering, it's okay, but like, I wish we did more, uh, I don't know, music? Would you wish you'd you sung more shanty? Trigonometry. Calculus. Multivariable. We could be exploring geometry. We could be exploring uh, complex uh, 3D geometry, right? We have uh, six Cs, but we haven't accounted for the fact that this is non-Euclidean plane, that in fact that directions are more complicated, that you have to account for the curvature of the Earth. Non-Euclidean. So you want to be a cartographer? <sighs> Donnie holds his hands to his temples and says, that's um, a simplification. I want to make sense of this most chaotic of places. I want to understand it in all its non-Euclidean twists and turns. I want to... Okay, 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 okay. I understand. You are a brain guy. I, I get it. But why... 
But, but you are part of one of the most successful crews in the Six Seas. Your mother leads it. You could be captain one day. You, you sound like you admire my mother. And uh, Iniga spits on the floor. Say something like that again. I cut you wide open right here. He, she waves the corked cutlass at him. And he sort of pushes it away a little bit by the cork. In any case, I can see that physical power is very important to you. Enough with the talk. I have a second question. That would require more talking, I believe, but okay. Psst. <laughs> My second question is, and she points the cutlass at these barrels for a second. Inside these barrels are watermelons, correct? He silently nods. She says, and inside the watermelons is what exactly? Crystals, he says. Yes, but what kind of crystals? Highly explosive crystals, which, if removed from the fruit, will immediately oxidize and, you know, boom. It, people could use them as very powerful weapons, but we believe they have a more valuable use than that. Yes? Well, uh, the captain would have my head if I told you, so, well, I'll have your head if you don't. <laughs> have you heard... The legend of the golden pomegranate. And she raises an eyebrow. They say that the seeds... And then it goes... Ned is knocking on the door. Donnie, are you, are you in there? Are you all right? Yes, uh, Captain. I'm uh, fine, uh, considering. <laughs> you don't sound fine. You sound like you've wet your pants again. No, I didn't. Um, this is salt water. You can't see me. Why am I even justifying? I... Did, actually, this time, I did kick someone, successfully overwhelmed someone and got to the payload, but uh, I am not alone in here, as you might have suspected. Yes, I am holding your son hostage, uh, I believe. And she, like, looks at him, right? <laughs> that was what we said. Good. And he, like, gives her a thumbs up. <laughs> Ned's face goes from a, from a disappointment to a, to a sort of growing rage as he recognizes the voice of the... Of the young Espanglish lieutenant. Little girl, what, what is it that you hope to acquire with my son as a hostage? Uh, and Iniga turns to uh, Donnie and says, Man, your mother speaks uh, really different from you. She has more, much more of a piratey vibe, a little bit of the British in there. <laughs> and Donnie says, yeah, I know. I'm not cut out for this. The only similarity we have is our hair color. Yeah, you also have the big thick glasses. It's probably bad for shooting, right? <laughs> Yeah, this is what I'm saying. Can we not talk about this so loud, though? Because you might hear. And Ned is outside just hearing like, Are you hoping to parlay? Uh, yes. Can I get you a, a sandwich, a cup of coffee? What is it that you want, little lass? Ned's, Ned snaps her fingers and, and uh, one, of the, one of the pirates around her stands too. And she goes, get Gatwick. Uh, yes. I have demands. Eh. We are. I am. <laughs> I am not going to be killed by the likes of you scoundrels. A fair enough agreement. Is there anything else you want? That is. That is the main thing. Uh. I want this boy as a hostage so that you cannot kill me on my way off the boat. I want you to let me out at the nearest island. We are. What? We are 10 minutes from. Uh, three heads now. I want you to leave us at the dra Dragon Roost Island. It should be only a few minutes from here. This be a negotiation, don't it? Perhaps since you're claiming so much for yourself, we can instead just leave you on the next piece of land that you can stand on. That be fair? Inigo looks over at Donnie and says, Cartographer, what is the next piece of land closest to Three Heads Island? We are ten minutes south, right? And Donnie uh, shrugs and says, like you said, Dragon Roost Island. All right, you leave us on the next piece of land that we can stand on. I take the boy and I take, uh, I take one of your precious watermelons with whatever it contains. And, and what might you think it contains, little lass? I don't know. The boy told me nothing, but it uh, seems to be valuable, no? I, I need something to survive on. Uh, I can eat the melon. I can sell its contents, and I'll be back in civilization. I think that seems fair. I'll leave you alone if you never come to Three Heads again. Uh, Ned 
turns away quickly from the door and looks at Gatwick, who's now descended to the bulkhead. And she looks at Gatwick and she says, I think my boy has said perhaps a mum too much. It may be time that we shed our family bonds. And Gatwick um, does the motion that you do on like a, a chin beard, but on both of his whiskers like perfecting the greasy point that they are <laughs> um, pulled to. On his mustard-colored beard. Yeah, yeah. And says, I, I'd feared this day would come. But if you think it is best, I guess I'll take over the bookkeeping for as long as it takes to find another guy who's good with numbers. Oh, something tells me that my boy will be back, but it is in the nature of youth to rebel against their parents. Sometimes a little bit of corporal punishment can set them straight, she says. That be true, that be true, says Gatwick. And right as Donnie's trying to hear what they're talking about, his door up against, his ear up against the door. Um, <laughs> his door up against the ear. All right, little lass, Ned yells. And he steps back as, as Ned yells in his ear. <laughs> Your demands are understood and accepted. We'll be nearing the next piece of land in five minutes. Prepare your melon and your hostage. <laughs> Inigo looks at Donnie. That was easy. Donnie shrugs. All right, well, let's do this. She sheathes her saber, takes out a dagger. Donnie pulls out a cork and puts it on the end of the dagger. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, she opens one of the barrels and picks out one of the melons, weighs it in her hand. She's about to knock on the melon. Donnie catches her hand and shakes his head and instead shows her how to fondle them correctly. She weird, <laughs> weirded out a little bit, fondles the melon. Fondling melons is normal behavior. Okay. <laughs> melons are made to be fondled. Melons were made to be fondled. With consent. And uh, then holding Donnie in front of her by the blade of her dagger, not the point, <laughs> they step Toward the bulkhead. She makes Donnie undo the locking mechanism on the back of the bulkhead. And slowly, the door swings open as the two of them are face to face with a with a horde of pirates, including Ned, who stands arms crossed over her large bust, still a chunk carved out of her hair, staring at the two of them. Gatwick, one hand nervously pulling on his whiskers, one hand holding the buckler. And then just a, a patchwork family of male and female pirates, each of them a patchwork of eye patches, peg legs, <laughs> hook hands, all the, all the different... All the uh, good stuff. All the good stuff that we know. Um, Although there is one particular pirate who has two peg legs, two hook hands, and two eye patches. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, we call him Blindy. <laughs> Blindy McStumble. <laughs> That's Ooh, terrible. That's awful. Uh, he turns out later in a later episode, Blindy McStumble is absolutely incredible as a pirate. Yeah, he's also an excellent piano player. His other, all his other senses have been heightened incredibly by his severe uh, disabilities. Yeah, he has no sense of touch or sight. <laughs> or hearing or orientation. He's just a soul wandering in an endless void. <laughs> But his sense of taste is phenomenal. He's the cook. He's the cook. He's That's the cook he and the pianist. Perfect. Uh, so as they pass their legendary pianist, um, Come on. Ned. <laughs> you got to emphasize that T. Ned and Gatwick part ways as standing maybe a foot shorter than Donnie. Uh, Inigo holds the blade up to his throat and walks carefully through the, the menagerie of pirates and up to the upper deck. I'm so proud but, of Blindy McStumbles. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but as she and Donnie look around, there's no island in sight. They walk up to the edge, to the railing at the edge of the ship. They're out on open waters. Uh, Inigo turns around to Ned coming, coming up on deck and says, so I assume we wait a few more moments until we reach Dragon's Roost. And Ned says... No, I think we've reached our accord here. This be the closest piece of land that you can stand on. And the ship slows as the crew 
yells, ah, I don't know, whatever you yell to slow the ship. <laughs> Furl the sails, yells Gatwick, and the ship slows. Why don't you take a gander for yourself? And as Inika and Donnie peer over to the edge, seeing the, the faint glint of a coral reef beneath the water, they feel Ned's broad, thick-fingered hands on their backs as they're just shoved. And they just hurtle through the air. And Niga slipping with a dagger and shaving a whole portion of his stubbly, of, of Donnie's stubbly beard as they go down. Donnie doesn't even have time to gasp in fear as he splashes through and immediately knocks his head and his shoulder into the corals below. And he sputters and holds onto the rocks. They're not rocks, but um, <laughs> what, it's, a, it's an organism, right? Yeah. Holds onto the corals and pulls himself above water, gasping for air, and looks up at um, Ned, who looks, even now, sly, grinning at him. Ah, my boy, it has been a pleasure working with you, but I'm afraid it is time you grew up on your own for a bit. You'll always have a home here when you decide to stop being a traitorous sea bag. And Donnie wants to reply, wants to defend himself, but realizes... She must have known for a while. She must have known that I wasn't having the time of my life out on the sea the way that she has. Um, and he, his feet are scrabbling to hold on to the corals so that his head will stay over water. And Iniga pulls herself up, breaststroking, refusing to stand on the corals, and says, We said dragon roost! And Ned, Nedrina, Ned the Red Dread, smiles down and says, Ah, well, by the rules of parlay, uh, we said the nearest piece of land that you could stand on. Now, the Copper Reef, you can stand on just fine, can't you? And all great pirate legends begin with a maroon sailor. I still have hope for my boy, even if I'm going to leave him here. And suddenly the crew of the Red Dread performs the same maneuver as before. They um, unfurl the sails super quick. They remove the B and the H and uh, <laughs> reveal the name, the Red Dread, and they um, flip the sails over or whatever, change the sails from the... The bright watermelon crimson to the deep red. To the deep red, red color. And uh, sail off with billowing sails in great speed, leaving uh, Donnie and Niga behind. Bye, my boy. I'll miss you dearly, but perhaps not as much as you'd hope. Well, here's where we begun our story, says our pirate narrator from the beginning. Do you guys remember? <laughs> <laughs> and yes, just as Ned the Red Dread said, every good pirate legend begins with being marooned. I don't happen to know how many good Navy lieutenant stories begin with a marooned lieutenant, but I suppose we'll find that out too. <laughs> I suppose you're wondering how our two heroes make it off of this copper coral reef where the answer be lying in one of the most deepest and darkest and well-kept secrets of the ocean floor. And that is, if you scramble and squabble long enough in the water, there's one thing that'll always find you, and that'd be sharks. And as the sun set on these two young neck-deep tippy-toers, and the night sharks came out for an evening feast in another part of the six seas. Another pirate crew sailed under the indigo sky. It was the crew of the Silver Spear. And we see an incredible silvered pirate vessel almost reflectively lacquered, speed across the waves. It curiously rips over the edge of the horizon just as Ned's red dread disappears on the other side. And uh, a young, rotund female quartermaster steps up uh, the steps to the stern where the steering wheel is located, where stands... Sh the ship's captain with a tricorn hat and their back turned toward us 
And the quartermaster says, Well, Captain, um, is there any uh, particular heading that you, you have for us? Or are we just just uh, all sails ahead uh, again? And the captain takes an eternity to answer and then says, I found them. Some of them, at least, I believe. And the quartermaster's eyes go wide. And she says, Wait, you, you found them? You mean, you mean we've been sailing in a straight line for, a, what, a month now? And we just, we just found them? Yes, says the captain. And she says, Well, well how? How could you possibly have? And the captain turns around and looks at her. And we see that both of her eyes are covered in scars and have seem to have been replaced with spheres of pure steel. Looking into her eyes, what looks back is nothing but silver, a perfect reflection of your own eyes. And she says, I see everything, my dear. And in her hand, she weighs a golden orb, or is it a fruit? No, it's both. It's a golden pomegranate. Did you knee yourself in the balls while saying knee in the balls? No, I didn't. Because it's actually really difficult to knee yourself in the balls. (laughs) (laughs) It is an ancient skill that we have uh, passed down through the generations. It makes you wonder, is it about the flexibility of your hips? Do you break your femur or do you just have a really stretchy ball sack? You must learn the ancient technique of stretching the ball sack. <laughs> so, so deep down that it will almost get flushed accidentally. Incredible. 